Hello everybody, good evening, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black, I don't know what's going on with my camera tonight, I seem to have a kind of ghostly image across my face, haunted, a haunted look across my face. Um, joining me this evening, two people who are not ghosts, we have John Anderson, good evening John. Good evening Cammy. And making his long-awaited return to the podcast is Rory Baldwin, good evening Rory. Hi, how are you? Is that is that sheet hiding anything, Rory, or is it just your washing? Just clothes. Um, it's, <laughs> this is what it's what passes for a wardrobe. Fair it's enough. A, it's, a t- it's a temporary wardrobe we got when we moved into the house five years ago. <laughs> Everybody's got a bit of furniture like that, haven't they? Um, we are live at the minute on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, uh, and various other places. You, can, if you're watching live, you can get involved in the comments, and we'll pick out the best ones any questions as we go along just jump in you're about 20 seconds behind so if the chat has moved on we might miss them but we'll try and pick up uh, those as we go along uh, you can find us on the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk um we are also on twitter at scott rugby blog i'm at cami black um and you can also sign up for our patreon if you want extra extra content from the podcast and that is patreon.com slash scottish rugby podcast for three pounds a month you can get bonus episodes ad free content and if you think we waffle on too much we will also do you a shortened edited version of the pod every week and john and i when when scotland do play rugby john and games are not cancelled which we'll get on to in a minute we do our only (laughs) fins match previews we do which are, which are lots of fun. Um, we are also brought to you in partnership with Manscaped. If you go to manscaped.com slash Scottish Rugby, you can get 20% off plus free shipping, uh, or you can go to manscaped.com and put the code SRP in. Um, they are kind of sponsoring us for the duration of the Six Nations, so we our deal with them lasts for as long as this month. At the end of this month, I don't know if it's going to be extended. Who knows? But if you've been dilly-dallying over whether or not to invest in some manscaping goods this this could be the month to do it before we lose the 20 percent code um you know lockdown's over john we said this last week it's you know it's time to well it's not over yet but it's it's nearly over it's time to yeah. maybe start smartening up upstairs and downstairs i mean now now's the time to maybe get you know in preparation for lockdown ending start to get a wee bit of practice in because you know it's like anything it's you've you've, you've got to put the effort in you've got to maybe you've got to learn what works for you so you know a wee, wee bit of trimage it's got to be done and uh, then get yourself out there and see yeah, what the world well, you know, to offer well it's getting a bit warmer outside so why not you know exactly yeah yeah you exactly. don't need the insulation. I, I was I was wondering if like so if we'd read maybe the terms correctly Cam because obviously the duration of the Six Nations, I mean, there's potential that we wow. may well be sponsored to like 2027 at this rate. So. <laughs> I don't know if they had, I'll have to, I'll have to go back through the contracts here. They sure. pandemic clause. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I'll tell you one organisation that didn't have a pandemic clause, and that is the Guinness Six Nations organisers. <laughs> Which brings us neatly on to item number one on the agenda. Um, we've Got the France Scotland game. Uh, obviously, we know that was postponed. It was postponed last week as we were recording. Um, it sounds like Rory. Look, is it Lequip? You were saying before we came on air, Lequip are reporting that it's going to be the tw- Friday, the twenty sixth of March. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some chat coming in on Twitter just in the last kind of half hour or so um, that the keep who I think has spent French sporting newspaper and um, they they seem pretty certain of it. Somebody else had put up 
a tweet that, that from I think Associated Press suggesting that the players would be released, um, which kind of gives it credence because it would be stupid if that wasn't the case. Um, so it looks like 26th, which will be the weekend after the Italy game, I think. Is that right? Yeah, it's a Friday though, so it's not a big, a massive turnaround. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, it sort of still feels like it's in the Six Nations kind of window, but yeah, it's yeah. three, three big, three big games in a, in a row. Yeah, I mean, I, suppose... I mean, you don't even get treated that poorly in the World Cup now. <laughs> <laughs> God, we're not even a tier two nation. Who, well, who, who, France? Not got? this week. Who do they think we are, Tonga? Go on, John. I was just saying, who, who have France got? Because obviously, if we've got a, a fairly short turnaround, but we've got Italy, then you know. Do we go down the route of uh, resting a couple of the, the big well, guns? They've still got to play Wales and they've still so got to play last, England. Yeah, that, they've, that last weekend is um, France-Wales. It's the last weekend. So England, it's England-France is the next in the next round, which is the games on the 13th and 14th. Um, theirs is a late kickoff as well. We get a good mm. couple of hours start on them instead of rest time. <laughs> That's uh, it's, it's, you know, it's maybe something to even we joke about it, but even a couple of hours can be make all the difference. So maybe that's what yeah. I'm... Um, there, there is a bit. If there's been some more news about this come out um, since we last recorded, and um, we've got a comment here from Jordan Lyon who says thoughts on this. If you break the rules, should you forfeit the game when other teams are following them? Regardless, I think what Jordan's talking about is the news that France went and got waffles after the Italy game. And there's no way of, you know, I'm not dressing that up. They, you know, they went and got waffles out of their secure bio. <laughs> Fabian Gaultier is also have said to have gone and watched his son's rugby team. Um, and I think the allegation is that he, he took a kind of public aeroplane and went through public areas where presumably everyone's on charters, I'm guessing, to kind of maintain the bubble. But it's not... There is an element of this as if it's, you know, you'd feel for them if, John, if they'd caught it just through, you know, just COVID and it's quite, you know, it's a highly infectious virus and it transmits very easily. But this is, they've taken unnecessary risks. Well, that that is set 100% that, you know, we're all aware that there is a highly contagious global pandemic that is doing the rounds in spite of you know, countries literally being in lockdown. Um, so to take such French liberties <laughs> as Mr. Gautier has done and, and you know, kind of flout the rules as easily as that, and then to, you know, obviously have a huge outbreak in camp, it's, it's just a terrible look. Um, and there is something about, we can all understand teams, you know, teams coming down with COVID for, you know, you're following your bubble, but things things can happen. Fine. Okay. But when there's such a blatant disregard for the privileged position that the, the teams have been put in, there's maybe a case for some action. Yeah. I mean, Rory, it's not, it's hard to, we don't know exactly what rules the Six Nations have put down for this. Um, presumably everyone's subject to the same conditions and I think the French government themselves had put conditions on the French camp as to what they were expecting from them to prevent coronavirus being spread because obviously it's a cross-border competition but you can't imagine that 
any of those bio bubbles would allow for waffles? No, I mean it's it's hard to see what they what they would allow for. Um, I mean, I was listening to another podcast earlier, and the, you know Wayne Barnes was on that talking about the you know how the referees are locked down. You know they're not allowed to go out; they get you know ferried from their hotel to the game and and ferried back to their hotel after the game, and they're tested sort of two or three times through you know along the course of it. You've got to imagine that the players are being extremely regularly tested because they don't want an outbreak like this. Um, and it just, yeah, it seems a little bit like they're possibly taking taking the mickey a little bit. Um, I mean, from a Scotland point of view, if they say they'd, you know, decided to play it last weekend or something like that, um, then, you know, they're throwing the, the Scottish players open to potentially, you know, the risk. So at least from this this point of view, Scotland are the least, the least likely to catch it from them. <laughs> waffles, uh, waffles are one of these strange things that you you see copious amounts of equipment from making them in the, the center aisle of Lidl. Yeah, you're never, you're never you're thinking, man. I mean, is Inverness really making that many waffles? I mean, they, or insert got, insert your local town here. They've got the the churro machines as well in the centre aisle at Aldi and every time I walk past that I go I really really want to make churros but I still haven't I still haven't like maybe tomorrow's the day maybe I will you know what maybe I mean I churros make... are based on churros are based on donut batter and they're covered yeah. in sugar so that instantly yeah. they're, they're better than waffles waffles are just exactly. they're just fat pancakes within, with a fancy pattern on them I don't exactly. know why the only yeah. suitable waffle the only acceptable waffle is a potato waffle and yeah, yeah, we've we've had lots, we did we did ask this on Twitter. What 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 food would you said? So what food would you have would have to be on offer in order for you to break a biosecure bubble and put a major international sporting event at risk? Uh, so Ryan Worley said a barbecue pizza with chicken, ham, and pineapple. That, the, the chick, that, bad that's call on the pineapple. Bad call um, on pineapple. Ian, Ian Hay said barbecue Mississippi style, but not necessarily in Mississippi. It's probably too hot there for me. <laughs> probably true yeah um although although he'd be, he'd be right in terms of hours like kind of the the time difference <laughs> he'd probably suit you in he'd probably wait yeah. in the day um <laughs> chrissy lester formerly of the blog says sticky toffee pudding oh, okay um we had doug the prop now this is this is probably the best one it's scotch pie and beans <laughs> and doug the prop i would say a tatty pie maybe I think it has to be a tatty pie for me. Ah, good, a good, a good Kelly pie could could go could um, go a long way to convincing me that uh, restrictions need to be. We've had um, the Sam Lana said the first prawn sandwich he ever had. <laughs> I'm not sure. Time travel as well. Oh, you would have to time travel. Yeah, it's quite a big ask. Um, a couple of others we've had um, a Cadbury's fuse bar. If they brought them back. Oh, blast from the student past. Yeah, that was my go-to when I was a student. Yeah, and then um, the lamb stovies at Murrayfield, says Jamie Campbell. I've never had the lamb stovies at Murrayfield. I assume I assume Jamie's been lucky enough to get 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 in the posh seats. I was going to say, I assume Jamie's, you know, obviously minted then if he's hitting the lamb stovies as well. Get that as he's actually. Um, I think I think I've had the I think I've had the lamb stovies at Murrayfield before. We they can't yeah, be that good. You just think they can't be that good. I think I'm pretty sure. Think, yeah, think yeah I'm, try, I, I'm trying to remember my my favorite favorite Murrayfield lunch, but uh, no, that would be uh, that would be throwing my privilege around. 
Um, a couple of others. So Martin Bell said quiche, obviously, because Martin, we know Martin likes quiche after our quiche and pizza chat. Patreon, Some... sign up to the Patreon to listen to that one. Somebody who I can't find their tweet now had said that they live in a country that doesn't have black pudding. So uh, I don't know, maybe America or somewhere. Um, so it was, storm, uh, Martin, away black pudding. Martin Stulgens said, given I've been stuck in a country without black pudding since the arrival of COVID, I'd happily break the bug bowl if you dangle a storm away in front of me. <laughs> I, I would vegetarian black pudding. I'd, I would, I would, I would consider breaking it for vegetarian black pudding. <laughs> Um, and then the last one we had was um, Kermit Guffey said, cheap burgers, 400 for a pound from Iceland, mainly onion and beef. I, 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 there's, something, there's something nice about a cheap burger, especially <laughs> when you're absolutely hanging after a, after a night out, three in the morning, kind of a part-boiled, part-fried burger from the van. <laughs> Biosecure, um, but I think I think if you if you're looking for food after a night in a nightclub, you've already, the, the biosecure bubble has already yeah. popped. You 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 are no longer biosecure at that point. <laughs> oh, Rory's, Rory's had enough of this Rory, chat. Well, That's enough. That's enough. Rory's. Rory... It lasted 18 minutes, and he's come back. Rory lasted 18 minutes, and he's had enough. It was the cheap burgers that did it for you. That's a step too step too far for Rory. <laughs> where uh, cheap Iceland burgers. Um, there, there were a couple of other things on this um, that, that are worth mentioning. Um, and probably in Scotland's favour, I think, John, is that all is not now well in the France camp. France France have gone all French. They have, yes. Which um, we, we speculated at the start of the tournament that if France were to just not go all France, then they could be very, very dangerous to, to everyone. But uh, alas, no one can quite predict uh, that France would would uh, yeah the, the the camp is a fragmented place once again. So the 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 main issue has been that Bernard Laporte has been into camp and spoken to the players. So Bernard Laporte thinks that the the head of the French rugby union has been in and basically said Gaultier will be here in 2023. Either get on board or you will not be here in 2023. Yep. Which was then leaked to the press. So clearly, it's not gone down that well with the squad. Um, Gauthier, um, Laporte has also said, um, he's defended them, defended Gauthier. He said, For me, he has the right to leave from the moment he is masked. He was outside. He watched the match, his son's match, alongside um, the director general of the Stade Francais team, who himself is tested every three days and also wore a mask. I don't see where the problem could be. But then again, I am not a doctor. Um, Laporte insisted Gaultier retains his full support. Why wouldn't I support him? I am not a prosecutor. And it's not because I really like Fabian. He knows very well that I don't give gifts to people. <laughs> no. That could just be that could just be bad translation, but I, I feel like there's a story there that we're not hearing about like that the, the Gaultier why would Gaultier know that Bernard Laporte doesn't give gifts? Has, has Bernard yeah. Laporte turned up at his house for dinner one night and not brought a bottle of wine? Is this, is this the same Bernard that um, possibly? Well, let's not get into that. Let's let's not get into Bernard Laporte and gifts. That's probably uh, yes. you know, we've. I think we, that's the risked, warning there. We've risked we've risked slander um, <laughs> twice, two weeks in a row. Let's not let's not push our luck, John. No, no, absolutely. Well, we've not got the the, the slander master himself on this week. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? it, it it's it, it's a very arrogant statement actually, to to say, do you know what? I don't see what the problem is. He's got a mask on. He's just breaking the bubble to go and see see a game, 
don't see the issue, don't don't really don't really care. And it, yeah, it's just it's just really arrogant and everyone knows fine well that, you know, we're using masks as a precaution, but they're not you know, it's we're not wearing hazmat suits. You know, it, it, it wasn't like dressed up like like some someone from the CDC to go to the game. I presume, if anyone's got a picture of them, let's you know confirm that. But yeah, it's just it's a very arrogant statement. Yeah, um, the interesting um, thing I think, like you said, is that that it's the the French media are leaking all of this, and I think it's in the offices in the French French team's interest to. Um, the French media's interest to kind of get oh. this come out. Rory's back. Hello, Rory. You didn't miss much. You missed a bit of waffle chat, but we're, we're, we're back on. We're back on the rug now. Are. Um, but the the, the it, all the leaks are coming from the Fra- French side of things, like you said, John. That they are kind of almost trying to control the story and denying that they've done anything wrong. But I mean, I'll, I'll throw this to you, Rory. But the, you know, things don't seem well in the French camp, and that's probably going to play to our favour longer term. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you'd, you'd hope so. Um, I mean, the government, the French government, were talking about getting involved, which would, I don't know, whether, you know, that would probably, that probably hurt the tournament because if they got involved and withdrew France completely, then that would just hand Wales, uh, you know, a victory, which is not in anyone's interest apart from Wayne Pivac. Um But uh, I think um, hopefully, if if they've got this, you know, got this under control, then uh, then they, it won't come to that. Um, you know, part of me does wish there was a 28-0, you know, bonus point freebie in the bag there. But at the same time, I think uh, Scotland and France are, are both playing some pretty good rugby. And actually, it'd be most, while uh, while the heart of every Scotland fan would like to see anything that shifts them up the st- tournament table a bit, I think everyone realistically wants to see the game played, actually. Um, because if you don't, if you did finish top of the table or something as a result and there was a you know a giant asterisk in there we'd we'd accept it but you'd have to defend it for the rest of you rest of your day so it'd be better to um, <laughs> I think it'd be better to uh, to actually play the game and, and see where we are yeah I mean there's some people slightly concerned that obviously well the you know the, the top 14 are having their say in this but there's some people concerned about how this might impact on uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh's game on the 20 I think Glasgow played Benetton on the 27th and um, Edinburgh down to play Dragons on the 28th of March um, in those rearranged fixtures, but it, it seems a little bit to me, um, John, that I don't think you would normally have internationals available the week immediately after the Six Nations, anyway. At least not the core no, members no. of the squad. No, no. There's usually there's usually rest protocols uh, come into play, particularly after the Six Nations. It's, you maybe sometimes see maybe some of the the kind of wider squad who've not had as many minutes come back in. So we might. We might find that we we would be missing them, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you wouldn't you wouldn't be expecting to see any of the frontline guys normally straight after it anyway. So uh, it's no. And to be honest, let's let's be completely frank about this, right? The Pro Fourteen, Pro Twelve, Pro whatever it is, does not matter a jot, right? We do not care anymore. It is okay. Let's play the international yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah. caring about let's caring about let's caring about five ten minutes when we're going to talk about it though, John. Okay. Well, Try yeah, of course. Five ten minutes I'm... to get psyched up for. 
for, for, for uh, oh well, yeah, mm, that that moment, shall we? Okay. Yeah, we'll come on. We'll come on to the Pro 14 in a minute. I'll give you a bit of re- a bit of uh, breathing space in the meantime. Um, so that's where we are with with France's thing stand. It looks like it's going to be played on that Friday, but we shall see because all the reports are coming up from France at the minute, and obviously France have got an interest in the game being played and being completely exonerated of any wrongdoing. So let's uh, we'll we'll wait and see how that story unfolds. Um, there's been another bit of news kind of just in the last couple of hours that the uh, Rugby World Cup 2011, which is the Women's World Cup, uh, has been postponed until October. Um, so that's I mean it's. It's probably always coming, I would think, Rory, given you know, New Zealand are, well, I think there's some lockdowns happening in New Zealand, but they're like a kind of an island, COVID-free island, island paradise. So they're not going to want all these kind of people flocking over in the summer, infecting them all with their dirty COVID. Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was looking increasingly unlikely, really. Uh, I think uh, Kelly had written a piece on the on the site a few weeks back saying, you know, there's there's some of the the qualification mechanisms have not really been completed yet. So they they keep as with every kind of international series or um fixtures that that's called off that they kind of they keep having to push back, you know, oh we'll use this for qualifying for the World Cup or we'll use this and eventually I think they were probably going to fall back on just like world ranking or something without, you know, really giving people a chance to play games to to get into it. So um yeah, I think it was it was kind of always on the cards. I mean, my playing in Scotland's hands a little bit, John, because the news this week as well that Jade Conkell's um, taking a hiatus to go and be trained to be a fireman or firefighter, I should say. I, yes. yeah, the reason I tripped over that, that's when I'm going to get my woke klaxon out in a minute. I'm going to be woke for a minute, guys. Hang on. I said fireman because we watch Fireman Sam in this house, so that's, that's instantly what comes to mind when I think of firefighters, and that's Fireman Sam's fault. The yep. Welsh prick. Anyway, <laughs> oh, that's your that's your TV, your children's TV podcast. Yeah. Like coming Which is out back next week. We're, we're back next week. The 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 non-family uh, children's TV podcast is back next week. John's going to be in charge. Do we have an issue with the? Do we have an issue with Fireman Sam? Because of his negligence as a fireman, or do, or is it because is it because he's Welsh? Because I mean that seems a bit harsh. Like, well, he's not as a firefighter. His his you know your focus should be on fire prevention. Yeah, and given given the amount of funding that they've managed to get in Pontypandy, based on I think that the high risk factor involved in living there and the, the high incidences of fire, just because of Norman Price. Now, in any other any other small community, that child would have been sent to juvenile detention <laughs> by now or or await some sort of secure unit. Because you, know, you can have a small child like that, a pyromaniac running around a small rural Welsh fishing town. But essentially what happens is because 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 he causes all these fires, the, the Pontypandy stats are through the roof, right? So they out of that, they've got two fire engines. Uh, they've The last one I saw, they had some sort of overland vehicle. They've got a couple of helicopters, like you know, the, the investment in firefighting per capita in Pontypandy <laughs> is is ridiculous, all because of one child. So they, I mean, he's in on it. Fireman Sam, he's not doing it. Fireman Sam about it, but why, why would he? If, if there he must be if something. Take, take Norman Price away way out of it. He's you know he's got that. You probably wouldn't even have a fire service in Pontypandy if it wasn't for Norman Price. 
Are you suggesting mm. there's corruption in the Pontipandi? A hundred percent. They're all in on it. corruption. Laporte yep. is running it and everything. I, anyway, I would, we, anyway, we hope Jade's fit. Go on, Rory. I was going to say, in, uh, in a post-Brexit world, I think that Pontipandi is going to find its funding cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all that, all that sweet EU money to look after the look after the the, the area. Yeah. Well, Postman Pat's gone. Pri- Postman Pat's been privatised. So, yep, that's um, yeah, he's got his special cool. delivery service now. Jade Conkle, let's go right yeah, to, back to Jade Conkle. Yeah. So, I mean, you that might you know if Scotland were to qualify, that might give enough time for her to come back. She's not. I think she's just taking a time away to do her training. So I don't know how long yeah. it takes to train to be a firefighter in London, but. You, certainly she's not retiring yeah no the, I mean it was pretty explicit she wasn't retiring she was taking a break from rugby which given you know we've talked we've talked a lot about the the kind of semi-professional you know obviously Jay Conker's professional rugby player but there is a lot of the kind of core international squad are not professional players so therefore if you've got a, a break to go and pursue other uh, other interests or other careers, um, you know, it's a it's a short career. We see this all the time in the men's game. You know, you're you're one bad hit away from your career ending. So if you've got the opportunity to go and um, do something that you're going to do after rugby, then you know, take it. I think, I mean, ETH Van der Merwe was was the same. He he he's wanting to train to be a fireman. Apparently, that was his big ambition after rugby as well. Yeah. I'm looking here. I don't think the full training. Uh, it's an eleven-week course of full training. Nice. So, so oh, well. you would hope. So, it's so hopefully she'll she'll not be away for too long, and, and we'll we'll have her back back soon. Um, the other bit, and there's been a couple of signings. Glasgow, John, after after consoling you for these past few few weeks and months, months, yes, yeah, years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been moaning you've, for two years. <laughs> you've we've we've had so we, I think Cole Forbes has been officially announced. Yep. Um yep. who do you know as after his Instagram's been sanitized? Yeah. Um as, no, as David no, Barnes no commented on the offside. One. Yeah. <laughs> do let's not let him near that that's why Adam Hastings is moving on. Yeah. <laughs> to Gloucester. For his own safety. I think David as David Barnes said he likes his his hobbies are hunting. Yes, we'll say no yeah. more. Um, uh, and apparently, taking out Leinster players nine minutes into his debut in the <laughs> <laughs> I was busy. He was busy. Yeah, and then we've also got um, Sioni Tiopolutu. Have I pronounced easy, that right? Easy for you to say. Tio, yep. Tiopolutu. Yeah. Tiopolutu. Yeah, I, I would say, say yeah. So he's coming over from the uh, Rebels. I believe. Um, I think via is he playing Japanese Japan? side. Yeah, yeah, played, yeah he, was, he, was, he came through. Apparently, he was the first homegrown player to play for the Rebels. Which, mm-hmm. uh, As in homegrown, in homegrown in Victoria. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, he played, played for Australia at schoolboys under, under 20s. But um, his father's got Tongan heritage. So would that make him the first... Player with Pacific Island heritage to play for Scotland. If he no, is, got, he's got a granny from Glasgow or something. Sevens. So in the sevens, we've, there's been a couple of sevens. Oh yeah. And yeah. then um, has, has Ratty to give been played yet? For Scotland, no. he's been in camp a couple of times. He's been in he's camp. Been I don't camp. think he's not been capped yet. No. So no, it would it would be the first fifteens. Fifteens. Yeah, so he's yeah. twenty twenty four. Um, yep. 
Scott, they made a big thing of the fact he's Scottish qualified on the Glasgow Warriors yeah. um, board. So it looks like an SRU signing as opposed to a, a, Gla- a Glasgow specific one. Yep. All okay, the new guys it? are Scottish qualified, are they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So Cole, For- Cole Forbes is Scottish qualified. The other, the only one that isn't is who Josh Josh Mackay is. Mackay, is he not? No, he's not. No, it sounds like he is, but he's not. He's so, come over for a, but he could. But he's again. I think he's only 24, 23, 24. Uh, he's he's pretty pretty young as well. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think I think we we'd all kind of commented on it that you know, these additions to the the Glasgow, particularly the back three, have been needed for a long, long time. You know, when you're you're relying on, you know, Tommy Seymour and Nico Matalabu are both well past 30 now, and there was a definite lack of pace in that Glasgow back line that these new signings all have that in common. They are all rapid, uh, and and in particular, the... um, your your man in the uh, Mackay is apparently uh, very 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 quick. So yeah, we will be watching some forward. of his videos. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's good to see. And, and you know, I think um, I've been very critical of Danny Wilson um, so far, uh, given the game plan that Glasgow have been playing. Um, but these signings are exciting and look like they look like the sort of signings that. A Glasgow team of five years ago would be able to integrate and decide to play good rugby. So hopefully they're not signing all this pace and then they're just going to boot the ball endlessly. Um, it would be quite silly of them to do so. But then we are thinking Duncan Weir might be the first choice then. So there you are. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, so you, Hugh Jones is off to be on. Yeah. I said it like that because I like the fact it almost rhymes. Yeah. I mean that's a um, yeah. That's a, I, I think Glasgow are probably going to be gutted. They haven't managed to hold on to him. Um, whether or not they could have afforded to, you know, sign these kind of caliber of young players, if with with Hugh Jones' wager on the books, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, if I mean the the backline's starting to look a little, little bit tasty for next season, um, and certainly certainly rapid and uh, a good. Uh, a good, a good, an informed Hugh Jones in the in the middle, certainly as he is at the moment, would you know would would fit in there nicely. But you can't blame him if he's been offered the offered the sweet sweet French uh, sweet French euros after the um, way he's been uh, treated. Yeah, we've got um, a question from Alistair Duncan who says, um, "Happy with the signings and the way Wilson's shaping the side. Would like more, one more in the back row, though, John. Do you think? I mean, are Glasgow particularly lacking in the back row? They've never." Seem to be particularly, but mm, I, I think I think that's a fair point actually because I think in terms of I think we're probably thinking more about international windows and um, you know if someone like Tom Gordon continues in the form he's been in, then he's going to be with Scotland. Uh, obviously, Matt Fagerson's away as well. You've got a bit of experience there, and you know Ryan Wilson's still going to he'll be you know he'll be first choice at Glasgow till he's like 104, I think, at this rate, despite not deserving it. But a couple of the signings at Glasgow are are, are temporary as well; they're only to the end of the season. Uh, so I think TJ uh, Ione is only to the end of the season, um, and we maybe maybe haven't seen as much from some of the other guys who've come in on the back row. So I think it's probably a fair shout. We maybe expect someone else to come in. Um, but was there? 
Was there not a rumour that was one of the Edinburgh back rows was going along the M8? There was, but it never came. It was, it was um, Crosby, Crosby. For, throughout the summer, and I think I don't think it, I don't think it came off in the end. Yeah, I mean, there's always always rumours that there's back rows coming over from Edinburgh since they have like every Scots qualified back row in the world. Uh, I think saying- that was that was pretty, from what I can tell, because I heard it from about three or four different places. That seemed to be quite far along, and then I don't know what happened. Whether or not he just wanted to stay and and kind of fight for a place in Edinburgh or whatever. Yeah, Glasgow's not for everyone. I mean, Glasgow have got. I, I can see why they. Um, why the, the commentator there was saying that uh, a new uh, a new back row signing would be handy because Glasgow they've got this they've got quite a good bunch of players. I mean Matt Smith's dropped away now, but you know they had they had quite a lot, but they had a lot of guys who were great on their day, but weren't ever mm-hmm. very consistent. And I'd count even you know Ryan Wilson, likes of Rob Harley and that who are you know fantastic servants to the to the club, and and at the moment are playing very well, but hasn't you know hasn't always been the the case and they've never really been able to consistently get to get that drive from the back row that the likes of Edinburgh get from their unit or did you know Scotland with a largely Edinburgh back row. Um it's great to see Matt Fagerson really coming onto a game with Scotland because I think he can he can sort of he can move that Glasgow Glasgow unit on when he comes back. Yeah. And we'll I mean we'll talk about the Glasgow game now then while we're talking about Glasgow and then we'll we'll talk about the Ember with the big Ember <coughs> signing that came out today particularly. Um John it's I kind of was, I was following on Twitter and I've watched it back since, but it was just a, a very strange game because we wouldn't have necessarily expected Glasgow to have come away, well, for it to be as close as it was at times, especially given the Hastings red card. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely fair. It was almost, it's one of those ones and it reminded me a lot in some ways of the, I think it was the Scarlets game a few years ago where Alex Allen gets sent off quite early and it really galvanised the Glasgow 14 who, who put in probably the performance of the season at that point and there, were, there was a, a certain amount of solidarity about Glasgow from that point and helped by some really big individual performances you know as Hugh Jones has been mentioned he was abs- that was by far and away his best performance for Glasgow by uh, a significant margin Tom Gordon was unbelievable he 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 just done everything. He covered every blade of grass, and there, I don't know if there's a complacency element as well because ultimately you would Leinster looked comfortable when we had fifteen on the park at the start. They looked like yeah, we could probably score it well here, and they knew they would get the bonus point quite early. They, they've got nothing really to play for. They've, they've won their conference pretty much, so. There probably was an element of complacency on their side, but certainly it was great to see a bit of heart from Glasgow and, um, yeah, great to see that kind of dig. And then, obviously, we, we went down to 13 and then a couple more scores came past. So the scoreline probably it probably is accurate in a lot of ways, given where the teams were and who stayed on the park. But it was a great game of rugby as well, which was... was was good. I think the interesting thing for me, Rory, and particularly after the first Leinster score, was that it was some of the more experienced Glasgow players didn't really look like their hearts were in it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think particularly, you know, Big Leone Nakarawa looked like he'd already kind of packed up and moved to Ulster, you know, 
And I'm not, I think it is the young players that are driving Glasgow on at the minute, which is fantastic. And it's really good that they're coming through, but it kind of needs the older heads to step up and, and kind of lead by example. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's maybe degrees of older heads. Brian Wilson in the second half was looked like a completely different player. Um, and it, it was, it was, you know, as John says, it was a that was a great Glasgow performance, even with the kind of giant caveats, asterisks about the cards and the fact that the scoreline at the end, you know, the margin was actually quite big. But that actually was the closest I've seen to the sort of um, to the effort, the, the hashtag, whatever it takes, of kind of old Glasgow of, of, of you know compete, competing for the top of the table, Glasgow, um, that we haven't really seen this season much, um, which shows you know shows good promise for the for the future um but yeah i mean it was it was the young guys the guys like um like tom gordon i mean you know we've probably joked on here certainly i've seen it said on twitter that if you had a team of 15 hamish watsons well we've got two of them now because he's got the same hair and he plays the same way with the same sort of crazy aggression and just trying to run to bounce off people so there you go only another 13 of them um <laughs> And yeah, it was and like guys like Ross Thompson when he came on, came on for the Karate Kid. Um, he he played really well, you know. Yeah. And I mean Cole Forbes, it was a, a mixed debut. I think he'll take a while to get up to speed with uh, with the Pro Fourteen, you know, from whatever lofty heights he's used to down down in the Southern Hemisphere. But um, the few times he got the ball, you know, he looked he looked pretty pretty handy. But yeah, he's maybe a bit sort of needs to get get into the, the rhythm of the, the breakdown and stuff like that. He made a few, give away a few penalties and stuff. Um, I'll just, John, I'll leave this. Uh, Dinner Lady's Ankle. I don't think that's their, <laughs> that's their real name. Uh, it says, Naka looks like mashed potatoes now. I think maybe Glasgow had a bit of a lucky escape with with, with Big Leone, actually, in a way. I don't, I'm not... Yeah, I think Ulster will be looking at their, like, we, we talked about looking at the terms of the our receipt. contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah they'll, be, they'll be thinking that maybe... Um, maybe seeing if they can get a wee refund on that one. Uh, he he really like right. He obviously right. We're not going to go down the route of conditioning. Right. He 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 clearly is not fit. We can see that. The interest levels though, like there's probably in the first 10, 15 minutes, there's so many times where Nakarawa comes to a ruck. And then just kind of leans his hand on it and steps to the side. When he is the man to go in, he's, he's the right person to go in. He should be competing. No, steps away. Tackling. There's so many cha- times where he, he, he kind of half tackles, but then again moves out. He he's, His heart is not in it at the moment. And if I was... I know a couple of the Ulster supporters who were very excited and rubbed it very much in my face that they'd they'd clinched Nakarawa's signing. Um, I may be having words back at them quite soon because uh, it does does look like for and it's a real shame because you know on his day again world class player, but he's thirty three and we all know we're all over thirty. We know fine well it's quite well, hard to keep yourself yeah. in that. Peak physical condition after you reach that, that mark. If he thinks Glasgow's bleak, wait till he gets a load of Belfast. <laughs> that, I mean, does conditioning affect your hands? Because I noticed that there were probably three or four <laughs> incidents in the first half when he would batter when he had the ball in hand. He still kind of almost looked like 
the bit Uncle Big Knacks of old, but he'd bust through the tackle, and you remember he used to do that thing where he'd get he'd go into a tackle, and so, suddenly the ball would just appear out of the back yes. of the, you know, that he'd somehow got got his his hand. He, he had the ball in one hand, and he'd hold on to it, and yes. all that was happening there is that the ball it was falling out of his hand. So I don't know, maybe he's lost all the grip in his fingers, or his luck's run out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll move on to Edinburgh then before we get accused of bias. Um, ben Velicott has signed for Edinburgh today. It's kind of been a long time coming, this one, Rory. I mean, I guess Finley Christie said no, is my guess. So they went <laughs> to the next, the next kind of the next guy mentioned on forums off the list. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been one that uh, he's the sort of uh, the Rory Hutchinson of his day. Um, <laughs> He's in a bit of premiership form. He's Scottish qualified. Why? Why wouldn't he want to um, sacrifice the possibility of those England player appearance fees and come and pin his pin his uh, his saltire to our mast? Um, yeah, I think. I mean, it's a great signing for Edinburgh. Um, he's he's not. You know, he's twenty six something like that. So he's still got plenty plenty of legs left in him. He's got lots of experience now. Um, and you know he's a he's a good a good player and he's a bit more of an attacking nine, which we all we all love to see. And certainly, God knows Edinburgh could use a bit of attacking something. Um, so I yeah. think I think he'll be a good he'll be a good fit, um, and maybe get that get that team moving a bit. Good um, with Velikov coming to Edinburgh, says Brody Duncan. Wonder if Pergus is going back to Glasgow just to annoy and frustrate John. You'd love that. I mean, John, they've already. They'd already sent him Sean Kennedy. <laughs> there was an in, there was an interesting thing from the the fifteen um, that had in, interviewed Finley Christie a few weeks ago, who said um, that there has been an approach um, for him to go and play in the United Kingdom this year. He said, with what's going on over there at the moment, I thought it wouldn't be wise to change over and play club rugby at this stage in my career. I'm going to stick around here for another year. That was a deciding factor with the COVID. You hear about clubs making budget cuts and with cuts and with the potential of not getting paid, I thought it was best for me to stay here. He confirmed he'd received word of interest from Scotland via his agent. So it sounds like it's a question of when, not if, John. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that is, that's really heartening news, isn't it? Given that he's, he has been one of those, as you rightly say, one of those players who's been on everyone's radar for, uh, forever, and you just hope that he and Mr. Velicott coming up up to Scotland. You hope that perhaps they um, live up to the the hype, which I don't think is actually possible with Finley Christie, <laughs> given that Scotland fans clearly think he's some sort of you know uh, deity. Um, he's, to be fair, the- to be fair, there there was talk of an All Blacks call up in the last twelve months. So it's not. I don't think it's completely. I think probably given. I think he's. I can't remember how old he's. I think he might be getting on for like mid twenties now. So presumably he's also thinking, I'm not getting an All Blacks cap anytime soon. So I need to make a choice, Rory. Well, what do you know? I have his Wikipedia right in front of me. He's 25. So yeah, yeah but about the same age. Um, so I mean, I was supposed to guess you're kicking a tilt at the next World Cup. He's got to make a choice now. Yeah, if he's uh, if he's t- if he's worried about clubs going bankrupt, that means that to me suggests the offers have come in from Premiership clubs rather yeah. than the pro teams. But obviously, somebody said you know if you're Scots qualified and you're playing in the north, you know we'll we'll keep an eye out for you, sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean he he's going to have to make a decision 
it's probably a good job that the the All Blacks are not quite as vindictive as Gregor Townsend in terms of hoovering up other people's under twenties caps and things like that. <laughs> um, and and don't or or indeed Eddie Jones trying to you know just to to cap cap them so that we can't have them. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I imagine I imagine he'll probably make a decision, but I, it's gonna it'll probably depend on. If, if things open, you know, when things open back up in terms of rugby seasons and and then it becomes a sensible idea to relocate your whole life yeah. to a hot zone. Yeah. Um, the Ember game then. Um, <coughs> I For me, Rory, I, I think Ember looked more up for it than Glasgow. I think that, that there's definitely a bit more of cohesion about Ember. Ember kind of a... Yeah. Like I said, they're not neither team, neither side's having a particularly kind of stellar season. But Ember looked a bit more cohesive than Glasgow. I think you can kind of get more of a sense of where they're going. Yeah, I think I mean Cockers is pretty good at getting a team fired up, ready for a game. Um, that that's uh, that's something that that he's been good at since he since he came to Edinburgh. Um, and yeah, I mean they, they they do look they do look up for it. I think they're actually maybe suffering a bit. Um, in that they haven't brought as many of the young players on, so that when they're losing their internationals, the the kind of depth that that they're having to rely on isn't isn't quite there in some some areas. Um, I mean, the backline is still a, still a bit of a worry. Watching, I mean, it is like watching nineteen ninety Scotland sometimes. <laughs> just the way that, the way that they they kind of just they, they go about their business, but there's nothing, and you're just like. Just give the ball to Darcy. I mean, Dufan wasn't playing on the weekend, but um, Darcy Graham, as per usual, was a was a bright spark in the in the game. Um, and Magnus Bradbury had a had an all right time in the second row, which you know shows the sort of shuffling they're having to do um, to to get the teams out at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, interesting. Um, they they really need a bit of direction at scrum half, which is presumably why they've they've signed Velikop. Um and I mean, James Lang will be interesting. Coming, he's coming in in the centres too. So, you know, they should be able to put out a pretty good, a pretty good team next year. But it's not; it doesn't seem quite as exciting as you know. If you're lining up the ideal full strength backlines of both of them, um, Glasgow are starting to catch up. I think with the with the signings they've got, certainly in terms of just putting the putting the bumps on seats. Um, but I mean, you know, Edinburgh are still going to have have a fair amount of class in there um, with you know Kinghorn. And Darcy Graham. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost. I suppose John, the both sides are going through a rebuilding stage. It's just Edinburgh isn't as drastic as Glasgow because they're not that they're starting off a much kind of higher base level for rebuilding than, than Glasgow are. Uh, yeah, I, I I think certainly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Both teams are going through a rebuild, and Edinburgh have been very good at keeping. Um, keeping a core of their squad together um, throughout the kind of Richard Cockrell period, whereas Glasgow have probably shipped quite a few more players, and particularly big big name players. So it's clear there's more work needed over at Glasgow. Um, it's interesting though, I, I, I totally agree with Rory. I think seeing the way the teams are shaping up for for next season it is quite indicative of maybe, again, just a different style where, you know, Edinburgh, with James Lang, Lang for all his all his talents, is a very functional centre. He's not a, he's not going to set the, 
set the world alight and make make everyone you know jump jump for joy. Um, Velcott maybe more so. He's you know quite an exciting player, but um, it'll be interesting to see. I think he's been signed as an SRU signing more more than a more than a Cockrell signing because if you think about the scrum halves that have been at Edinburgh that have been trusted at Edinburgh, um, you know you basically you're talking Pergos and Groom, who are fairly similar, fairly controlled, kick a lot. Thelicott is not really in that mould, more likely to try a try a wee break. So I do wonder if, I, I would say Thelicott is more like your Charlie Shield and he's not been given much game time at all. So I don't know, it seems, it's a strange one for me. Yeah, I suppose neither, neither team have been great at bringing through youngsters until they've been forced to though have they i mean we've we've seen both have been forced to play young tens this year because of call-ups and because of coronavirus and and that's maybe why they both find themselves in the situation that they're in now i mean glasgow have got plenty of young have had the opportunity to play plenty of young players like Stafford mcdowell and robbie nain over the past couple of seasons but whether or not that they're not being given the chance or whether they're not good enough in training we don't know we don't see what goes on behind closed doors i guess rory so we, we don't know why these youngsters aren't playing is it because they don't want you know they're not to be risked or they're just not up to to the standards that are being set yeah i mean it's tricky we do seem to have a problem with bringing young backs through more quickly than forwards i don't know if that's because maybe the sort of work that forwards do they're more likely to have a teammate close by them whereas you're a bit more exposed in the backs so you know, getting skinned three or four times in a game can be kind of dampening to your confidence so they don't maybe feel they can put them out there until until they've got, you know, but how do you get the experience? You don't get that experience unless, you know, unless you're learning these lessons and even if they're, they're negative lessons. Um, and I think, yeah, Nathan Chamberlain is a, is a pretty good example there. Um, I can see maybe why that, they, you know, he wants to play... Jakob van der Rot as much as he can because um, he's got that link with uh, with van der Merva and it gets them points because he can kick cross field kick to him and he pick up the pick up the tries. But uh, Chamberlain is a good talent, so you know with a with a Scotland hat on, you you kind of want to see these guys getting get more of a game. Um, I guess it's like the old thing of playing Pete Horn at, at ten rather than bringing through a young guy and letting him have a pop who's you know a, probably a ten. Yeah, apologies yeah. to Ian, whose head maybe just exploded somewhere. <laughs> it's a results business, and ultimately, as you say, Cammy, if, if if the youngsters, so if the youngsters are good enough, we've seen it with Darcy Graham, we've seen it with Kinghorn, we've seen it with Sander, with the fake Gerson brothers. If they're good, that's ultimately where we're at. It's a results business, and. The, the the issue we've had is guys like Robbie Nairn have had they have had chances they've come into the squad yeah they've not had regular chances and they've not played week on week on week Finn Russell going back to Finn when he came into the Glasgow team prime example came in at 12 took his chance played really well got another run moved to 10 all of a sudden he's a, you know his best 10 in the world you've got to take your chances He's yeah, exactly. He's got a Lamborghini. What more whatever, incentive yeah. do you need, guys? I mean, ultimately, you know, it's like 
the Eminem song in uh, Eight Mile, Lose Yourself. You know, you've got that one chance. Uh, you've got to take it. So um, it reminds me of that. And, you know, these young guys have got to be got to be putting in the work at training and got to be showing up at games. But we also got to trust the coaches know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the, you look at uh, like Ross Thompson when he was given his chance a few weeks ago and he grabbed it with both hands and there everyone was saying, well, you don't really need to sign Duncan Weir now. You just play this guy every week. Um, yeah. I mean, you, know, everyone, you need the depth. Why, why have yeah. you been, why have you not been playing him all season? Why, yeah. why has Brandon been playing? And I mean, yeah, he's going to help, uh, he's going to help round out, uh, round out Ross's, you know, Ross's game, having, having a guy with Duncan Weir's experience. So it's, it, I guess it's a kind of a win-win for Danny Wilson there. Yeah, and I suppose it's what, what all the well, maybe what Ember have got more of than Glasgow, I guess, is the, is the kind of either the older hands or the kind of more of the a better standard of um, drop down below the once the guys go off to international camp, and that's maybe what Glasgow are lacking at the minute is the drop off below that. Ember have got you know, players who've either been on the fringes of the Scotland setup or have just played. Lots of games. It's almost like the role that um, Al Kellogg kind of had at, at Glasgow, I suppose, in that season that they won. You know, he's past his he's past his Scotland days at that point, but he, you know, he was still there to kind of lead and see see the team through. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's something that Ryan Wilson's filling now, and you would have thought maybe Barkley would have done, but I think his body gave up on him. Yeah. I'm not sure his body gave up. I think I don't. I think I think I don't know whether Ember left him or he left Ember. We'll never, yeah. we'll never get to the bottom of <laughs> we'll that. Never know. Um, that that'll okay. be one to do a book review on when the time comes, guys. When the time comes, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll all be in a podcast at some point. Um, okay, we're going to move on now. We're going to do this. Yes, it's hands in the rock time. It's our any other business section of the podcast uh, where we try and look at things further afield than Scotland, although we we also welcome uh comment about Scottish rugby. Um, the reason my microphone went earlier on was because I was trying to see if we could find a way of doing uh, the beds where we used to, when I, before we, we started streaming live, I used to have a way of playing music in the background. And um, we've had a... I'm going to try and do it a different way now because I don't want my microphone to give up with me. But we've, we've had a sad, we've had a sad hands in the rock, and this is it's from Ross McDowell. So, so that'll work through my phone, you see. So the sad music going, and Ross says, "If Hugh Jones does leave Glasgow, it will be the saddest departure in years. When Hoggy and Johnny Gray left, you were sad, but you couldn't begrudge them due to the service provided." Hastings leaves with a bit of a bad taste. Knacks likewise due to his efforts this season. But Hugh Jones, we just never got the best out of him and his lovely face. Fair. Fair. So thank you, Ross. I did say I'd put that to sad music. That's what I was... Uh, so it's Ross, it's your fault. My microphone went funny earlier on. So I hope that was suitably <laughs> sad. I think that's fair. I don't think, you know, he, he hasn't... Got, well, well Glasgow got, got the best out of Merkhead's lens the, the weekend, which is too little too late, I guess, John. I may have commented in Glasgow Warriors Facebook page earlier on. I am utterly raging about the Hugh Jones situation. Um, yeah, he has 
<sighs> he's been mismanaged on a spectacular level to the point where he has went from being the form 13 in the world definite lion shoe in one of the best strike runners in in world rugby to uh, n- you know not even getting anywhere near a bench um and i think my comment was basically david Rennie decided that nick grigg was better than kyle stain who was better than hugh jones who in turn was apparently better than mark bennett um, which basically means that Nick Gregg was a, the, the, the choice 13 in Scottish rugby, which is utter nonsense. I don't care how much coaching pedigree Dave Rennie has. You're talking crap, son. Um, there you go. Ross, yeah, Ross, Ross yeah, agrees Ross. with you. You've cheered. Yeah, Ross. Preach, John, yeah. preach. Yeah, Hugh Jones is um, a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. He's going to go to France and he's going to get all the dollar for his phenomenal attacking talent and his beautiful blonde hair. And, uh, yeah, we love Hugh Jones here. And can I just say, can I, I'll just move on to, if you don't mind, Cammy, because it links into my hands in the ruck, Go actually, about Mr Jones. Um, may may have noticed today, Glasgow do this thing where they announce their uh, CubeNet um, Defender of the Week and Hugh Jones won this award this week for his 10, 10 tackles, none missed, eight of which were dominant against the Leinster side. So anyone who says Hugh Jones can't defend can take that award and place it firmly where they cannot see the sunshine because he can defend. He always could defend. You're talking rubbish, boys and girls. Okay. I don't know. Somebody who said, that is it time to recall him to... Th- to, to, to the Scotland team to start at 13. I think that's probably too much given the way that Chris that's Harris is playing. Harris deserves the shirt just now. Yeah. But he, but but he does a job off the bench, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he can, cover, he can cover the back three, which has been good. That's, you know, another string to his bow. But ultimately, you play him at 13, you give him a bit of confidence, and he was back to his absolute destructive best against Leinster. And he can defend, and no one cuts that inside-out line. And I, I, don't, I can't think of a 13 who cuts a better line than Hugh Jones on form in world rugby. It's phenomenal. Okay, um, the next hands in the we've got from Martin Clark. He says uh, his hands in the ruck is the constant barrage of negativity of signing Scots qualified Kiwis or Aussies who so happen to not play junior rugby in this country. If they qualify, they're good enough. No one cared when Sean Lanine, Martin Leslie or Nathan Hines all lined up to wear the thistle, but for some reason, Cole Forbes and Sione Teopolotu, I'll get the hang of that, are, the prob- are a problem. I don't know. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that Martin Leslie and um, that was true of Martin Leslie. Um, necessarily, and it certainly wasn't true of Brendan Laney. <laughs> oh, I uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, in- interestingly enough, uh, on the Sioni Tupelo 2, uh, I was reading an article he does. He said uh, when he was he came to rugby quite late, or not, you know, relatively late for a, a you know Australian schoolboy who um, probably plays five million sports before the age of ten. Um, he, his mother apparently encouraged him to play f- football soccer, um, and she's of Italian heritage. So I'm just saying, don't you know, don't don't get too attached to him because it because old Franco might come might come a calling, and <laughs> I mean, Italy could use some class in the midfield. So he could be the next Tommy Allen. Oh, just just saying, just saying. 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing if he turns out to be the next Tommy Allen. <laughs> it is if he stays playing in Scotland. Well, yeah, that's true. Sorry, Tommy. Um, yeah. Um, what's the next one we've got? Because I'll save the big one for the end. We had um, another one from Ross McDowell saying, both Glasgow and Embraer making some really interesting signings, which cuts down the amount of topics that curmudgeonly oriented fans can focus on. Sort out SRU. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what um, will Glasgow fans complain about if they have, you know, a fully stocked squad of excellent talent? The um, we've got another one for late hands in the for Martin Bell. He said, "What should the SRU invest the fifty million CVC cash in other than Mark Dodson's salary?" Communications John. department that um, does not <laughs> does not. <laughs> Go too early on fighting good fights with teams. <laughs> well, don't, well, probably, well, you could probably spend it on upgrading their um, the software they're using for the communications, Rory. <laughs> Drupal, Drupal Seven, love it. Drupal. I didn't, I didn't know people used that, but I guess they probably do. You know. Yeah, they're advertising. Was it a, like, uh, a, a communications board? I think at the minute. Yeah, you, you, they're looking for someone to go and run their Twitter. So if any of our uh, listeners. Or viewers fancy a crack at that. Um yeah. you can you can maybe do that. Yep. So um yeah, I don't know what I, I think it seemed to be from what his comments when he'd been interviewed, um I think there was a, a bit in the Mark Palmer had a bit in the Times and um there was a bit on the offside line as well with David Barnes had covered it saying that they can it's kind of gonna be split. They need, they're gonna reinvest some of it in Murrayfield. And to be fair, Murrayfield is getting a bit old and tired and probably does need an up an upgrade, um, and the rest was going to be split between the pro game and the clubs. Which seems, I mean, it seems if it doesn't seem like a bad idea to be investing in the national stadium, Rory. Yeah, it's it's one of these things that they'll probably turn out to be some sort of investment in new hospitality suites or some. It'll be you know it'll be something like that, and we'll all think, oh, could they have spent the money on something? Because I mean, I mean, fifty million is a ridiculous pot of cash, but I don't suppose it's enough to, you know, make the stand any make a stand any bigger or anything like that. You know, it's going to be infrastructure. I mean, they could maybe give the toilets a clean or something. Yeah, more, 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 more women's toilets. Yeah, more women's toilets. I mean, I think that would probably go go down pretty well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be good for them for to. It'd be good for them to do um, something with the back pitch. Now we've got many Murray fields, so obviously that cuts down on the, the, the amount of space you've got on the back pitches. So it'd be good to try and do something to kind of because that was always quite a nice place to hang out to watch the the other games during the Six Nations and the Autumn Test. Something to like that somewhere else, so that we yeah, don't lose a, that altogether. That's that's Edinburgh's pitch now, right? Yeah, well, I think only half of it is, isn't it? Is there not still a training pitch next to it? I don't know. Well, if you remember rightly, Cammy, when when we were down in Sale, the the big gazebo set up next to the stadium, which is pretty yep. much what Edinburgh have got now. So you know we we could we could all just still <laughs> hang out there anyway. We could do. There was karaoke. It was weird. I didn't like it. <laughs> karaoke in the middle of a car park in a, an industrial state on the outskirts of Manchester, next to the world's most opulent shopping centre. Oh, 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 an oasis gig it was not <laughs> no um so um that's that um before i got the next one um john have you got hands in the rock for this week oh you've done yours haven't you 
Yeah, Did you enjoy Hugh Jones one? Rory, did you think of one? Um, no, not massively, but uh, I did find myself quite disturbed this week that I find myself agreeing with Andy Good again because um, <laughs> he, he's picked. He's picked, I'm going to say he's picked up my crusade and run with it, but we probably just arrived at the same stream of thought independently. But uh, yeah, I mean, he he was reading the question that I was raising after um, after Xander's red card. Um, about head injury assessments for players who've been the victims of red card worthy crimes, um, and just that I just think if if it's if the contact with the head is serious enough to take a player off the pitch, then surely it's serious enough to for them to get checked out. I think the the only issue I suppose is that it's not the seriousness of the contact with the head that leads to the sanction. It's the fact there was contact with the head at all, isn't it? Yeah, I would imagine. But if they're trying to rule out, con- I mean, I get there's yeah. there's probably degrees of contact with the head. But uh, I mean, if you look at any any ruck or something, you know, people's heads are getting contacted, and you know, just by the nature of the the game. But it's been serious enough that they've looked at it, reviewed it, and decided to kick someone off for it. It seems it seems to me that it should be. I'm not. I'm not. It's 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 going to seem like I'm I'm saying, you know, they should almost have a counter punishment for getting hit in the head, and that's not really where I'm going for. But I think it's just when you see somebody gets cleared out or a ruck, they get smashed smashed in the head. The other player goes off. We're like, well, okay, that's game over. We lost that game now. Um, and then they sort of they get up and and carry on as if as if nothing has happened when it seemed like it should have been more serious than that. I mean. Mm. Um, Andy Good was sort of suggesting that it encourages. Um, I, I can't remember. I think it was Thomas Francis, maybe during one of the, yep. the one of the Welsh red cards, um, and he was suggest. You know, he's saying that he's he's kind of indicated he's been hit in the head. He's got up, played for a bit, then went to the next stop to plays. So it was. I mean, the Peter Mahoney one where he's he's been struck and he's went down. He's got back up because if you remember. The, the game, so it was Wayne Barnes refereeing, Wayne Barnes shouted at the clear out I seen it, there's nothing in it it was just a clear out so he got back up and got back in the line and then when play stops he goes back to where he was and goes down and holds his head it is as if to say, do you know what sir, you might you remember that clear out that you said was fine just, oh my head's sore now but then mm. he doesn't go off for an HIA so, yeah, what we don't want contact with the heads, but professional rugby players, we know they take the piss with things like this. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've seen Glasgow players sort of rolling about at the back of the rack, oh, going, ah, you on the head, you sit on the head. You know, trying to get the ref to look at something. So if the ref looks at something, then you're saying you've had a head contact, you should get checked out too. Yeah. Um, the next hands in the ruck we've had was Dougie Lowe says, I've seen numerous articles and posts commenting on uh, Pascal Gozer admitting that he got the two Wales tries wrong. No, he hasn't. What we have is Joel Juttage saying he's had a conversation with Gozer about it. Joel Juttage. Is this J-U-T-G-E? Joel Juttage. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, he was a ref a few years ago, French ref a few years ago. I prefer George Tudge. He sounds like a bad radio, a late night radio one DJ. Yeah. Um, There's not a single quote from Gozer about this. I mean, it's interesting those decisions. I don't think they necessarily were were wrong. 
as it stands. I mean, the one, the, the knock-on, I think Rory was saying with our kind of group chat at the weekend, 99 times out of 100, that's that's a knock-on. But actually, by the letter of the Lord, there is an argument to say that it's not where, you know, it comes forward off the hand, but then somehow goes back and he kicks it sideways. Yeah, I mean, um, I, w- I wasn't paying too much of attention to the uh, the sort of minutiae of the laws there. Um if they didn't have TMO re- replays, you'd have just said, "Oh, it's probably a knock-on," and they'd whistled it up back in the old days when the attacking team got the ben- even got the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's um, I don't want to refer people to the other podcast, but again, they had Wayne Barnes on, and they were talking about decisions, and you know, they they did a poll on it was Johnny May's dive a few weeks back, and amongst you know thirty referees, and there were eighteen fifteen split in terms of whether it was a try or not a try. And those are all referees. So if the referees can't agree, then how the hell are we mere mortals supposed to understand what the hell's going on? Yeah. What's your take on the other one then, John? Because I, I, with the other kind of big controversy in that England game where it goes, uh, set a shout, told Owen Farrell to go and have a word with his team about constant penalties, then called time on, and then Dan Bigger kicked to the corner and Josh Adams scored. So it's not... I think Owen Farrell was protesting that he hadn't had time to speak to his team. I mean, I don't know how long it takes for you to, to turn around and say, lads, to cut out the penalties, because he seemed to be having a yeah. real talk to them. They also had the back to Wales. And the way they were set up, I think they were expecting a place kick for the post. So they they, they had... You watch when they turn... When he, when he blows the whistle and they've, they've all turned round, they're all lining up for a kick at the post. So it's not... I don't think that's the referee's fault. No, that's not the referee's fault. There's there's, there's a couple of things at play here. So we're all taught from the very first time you take a rugby pitch as a, as a mini, age four or five, you're taught never to turn your back and play, even when you're getting spoken to by your captain. So the fact that they've all kind of huddled round under the posts uh, in itself is pretty criminal. Farrell has been given time to speak to his team. He seems to be having a very lengthy chat with him. Maybe maybe they were struggling to understand his thick northern accent. I don't know. But um, it seems that they, they wanted to have a proper, you know, heart-to-heart, nice chat, talk about feelings in their huddle, when really it was, as you rightly say, uh, right, boys, wrap the penalties. We're getting into a bit of bother here. Let's go on with it. Nobody's kind of spreading out. Nobody's getting prepped. However... I do have some, and this will come as a surprise the most because I detest Mr. Farrell and enjoyed seeing his little mug afterwards. But Gozer has he's, he's made a mess of that because he, I mean, he he said he's whistled. He said time on. He's actually whistled before he said time on. That that in itself you can't do, even though it's you know it's borderline, but. He really has just kind of taken the huff with England and said, "You know what? No, wrap it on you, go, guys." Yeah, I mean, as I was watching, I found the it was a twenty eighteen Scotland Australia game uh, at Murrayfield, Rory, where Finn Russell goes to kick for the corner and then throws a big looping pass to Hugh Jones, who scores. So that kind of gamesmanship at penalty time, and it was Pascal Goza who was the referee then as well. Like, it's, it's you know, it's fair game, I think. Yeah, and they found somebody found um, Wales 
uh, a Wales England incident from a few years back, where again, where Gazer was the ref and Dan Bigger took a crossfield kick to Josh Adams. It didn't re- result in a try this time. I don't that time. I don't think. But I mean, he's they've they've obviously spotted that sometimes he doesn't signal exactly when the time is happening, or you know, or what what exactly is the current status of the clock. Um, but I mean, yeah, it w- it wasn't handled the best, and and perhaps if uh, you know if if. Farrell had been building a bit better rapport with with uh, with the referee, then he might have been inclined to to actually say, "Well, okay, well maybe let's you know he could just he could probably just turn around to Dan Bigger and say, "Just take that again, please," or something, and they'd probably accept it. But um, because the referee is the sole judge of fact, but um, that you know, I don't think he did it. But I mean, it's also you've got to look at England. I mean, probably. There are four, four fly halves in world rugby who you would not turn your back on at penalty time, and that would be Johnny Sexton, Dan Baker, Finn Russell, and Ronan O'Gara, who's no longer playing. So there's only really three they need to worry about. Um, just you know, watch them until until they until they signal for the posts. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep yeah. an eye on them. Yeah, I don't think Dan Bigger would have taken that very well, though, had he been called back. I think he probably would have fallen over and waved his arms about a bit because he'd done a lot of that. Yeah. It would have been no worse than, than Farrell's kind of reaction to the to the referee as well. I mean, Maybe they should have done it like they should have both just come in at the centre, the centre area, and just both fallen over and flapped about, and then we could all just got on with the game. Um. The last hands in the I'll go. Mine kind of leads on from to Alan McDonald, who says the toxic reaction to Sonia McLaughlin's interview, the abuse she got was disgusting and wrong. It also had the effect of taking the debate away from the interviewing style she was asked to adopt by the BBC, which was unnecessarily confrontational. Now, I think we can all agree that the abuse was um, unacceptable. I don't think we need to kind of go go over that. The, the interviewing style, though, is interesting for me because I. I was having a, a, a various debates about this over the weekend on Twitter. That one, I think that it, she was perfectly entitled to ask the questions about what happened because we, we, I think we forget as rugby fans that we we are not the primary audience in the Six Nations. The Six Nations is targeted at the casual rugby fan who tunes in for the Six Nations in the autumn's test and might in passing watch a couple of Lions games or summer tests if they happen to be around. That's who that's who the coverage is targeted at, and what they had just watched. And I've got friends who watch, you know, for, follow football the rest of the year, and occasionally we'll, we'll have the Six Nations on in the background on a Saturday if it's on. Someone like that won't would expect them to talk about the refereeing decisions and how that had an impact on them. I think the other thing in terms of the style of it as well that she went back and asked them again and asked them again is, you know, your your job as a pitch side reporter is to create content like it or not and this is the cynic in me and that's I know people don't like this and maybe some people felt that she should have changed to ask different questions maybe easier questions but actually what what it produced although the abuse was unacceptable but for the BBC it's it's a it's a and an, it's a moment right after the game that they can then put on Twitter and in a way it kind of it promotes the game in a way it makes the game interesting oh look there was a confrontation with a reporter and uh, you know the, the the captain or the or the manager. That's that's a story, and people then see it. It gets clicked. People watch it. Oh, that's quite interesting. I might watch the next game and find out what happens. I might follow that story a little bit, see where it goes. Which to me is much more preferable if you're trying to grow the sport than how did it go today? Oh, and 
the lads put in a great effort and you know we'll we'll go away and look at it and we'll come back next week and see how it goes. It's like, <laughs> oh, you must be very disappointed. Yeah, we put in a massive effort. Your penalties though, yeah, we'll review that. You know, that's that gets it gets the BBC nothing. It does nothing for the sport. It's just bland and it's boring. And I think we you know, we I think the this Alan Dimmick was has done his article on what rugby can learn from wrestling and a lot of that's about creating heels it's about leaning into characters it's about creating these moments of controversy and and using them to sell the sport and that's i think that's rugby doesn't do a good enough job of that and when something like that happens it just falls back on the normal respect rubbish <laughs> which I mean, means we, I don't, during this podcast as well <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing our best with the Scottish rugby bug to turn Peter O'Mahony into a heel. Yeah, and that's what he is, though. And that's you know, I think, and I think Peter O'Mahony himself would admit that he's a heel when he plays rugby. And that's, I think, he's somebody that embraces that. Mario Toji embraces the fact that he's a heel. You know, with his whooping and his clapping. That's that is that is. You know, they, they talk about this in wrestling. You're, you're on your, your character when you're in the ring, and and Mario Toji outside of the ring, outside of the pitch, seems like a really down-to-earth, lovely bloke, really interesting guy. On the pitch, you absolutely hate him. Opposition teams absolutely hate him. The whooping, the hollering, the clapping, but that's his character. And I think he himself has has talked about that and has admitted that. And that's more interesting, right? That's much more interesting to have someone like that to hate and who kind of uses that hate to drive himself forward. It's easier to love him if he gives you five penalties a game, though. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, I thought he was amazing. I was really pleased with him. Um, we're against against Scotland. That was fantastic. Best I've ever seen him play. It was, it was, it was pretty penalty machine at the weekend as well, wasn't he? Yeah. He's absolutely coughing them up just now. It's almost like having not played for like a year has had an impact or something. I I think my my hands in there kind of falls on from that because it's the. It's the the rugby respect crap again. It's not. Yes. I don't think. I don't think it, think it exists at the international and pro level of sport. And I think that world rugby and tournament organisers need to drop it from some of the branding. I get. I think that at club level, absolutely. I get that people. You know. I think that's that's absolutely right. That you should have that kind of ethos and that idea behind the sport. It's a sport for all. It's inclusive. It's you come together, you have pints together after the game. All of that stuff, I think, is fantastic at club level. But I don't think it exists at pro and international level. And I think they are harking back to kind of a bygone age that just that, that, that probably was there at international level and, and club, well, club level pre, pre-pro times. But I don't know, it just kind of it rings pretty hollow when you've got, you know, the Six Nations tweeting about respect at the weekend when you then have Sonia McLaughlin being abused you've then got Ellis Genge getting abused because he didn't clap someone in a tunnel which is ridiculous I mean, I've heard of guys getting beat up in the tunnel at club games let alone you know, a national match someone clapping it's not it just it's tiresome and it, I think as well can from a demonstrating respect as a sport you wouldn't be you know, banning trans women from playing rugby. If you were demonstrating respect, you wouldn't. You would be doing more to combat racism and racism in the sport than having, you know, I saw everyone standing around clapping like seals at the start of the game, rather than you know putting out bland corporate statements. You'd actually be doing something to deal with it, rather than 
here's a tweet of sort of two players shaking hands at the end of a game. And every that happens in every sport, that happens in cricket, that happens in football. You'd be, you have to be an absolute sociopath not to shake hands with someone at the end of a game of sport. It's ridiculous. So it's just, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it puts people off as well. I think people then start to see rugby as this kind of sanctimonious, elitist yep. game that thinks it's better than everybody else rather than saying, you know, we're, we're no better than football or cricket or golf or tennis. All these guys show respect to each other in national stage. You don't have to keep tweeting about it. If, if rugby wants to continue to, or, or if rugby fans want to continue to believe in hashtag rugby values or hashtag rugby family or any of that stuff, then let's see it. Let's actually see some actions. Let's see some some um, see some respect for your your fellow fans. Let's see you um, for people who are part of the game as opposed to um, the actions that we've seen online. Um, particularly online, for for uh, since I mean it's been going on for quite some time, but it has really ramped up maybe in the last couple of years. I mean everything is now fair game. Like xenophobia, yeah, why not? Rugby fans, we will just we'll just abuse everybody because that's okay. It's um, dealing with the, the some of the fallout of the the Glasgow Leinster game the other night and the the fact that there was an Irish referee in charge. This this brought out the 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 moon howlers in some um some some quarters uh, which was quite I, think, I wonder how much of these discussions have always gone on though, right? They would happen in the pub, they'd happen in the stands. The problem is because it's it's public now because it's on social media, I don't think it's new that these discussions are happening. They're just happening in a much more public forum. Like the the kind of xenophobic comments and the racist comments you might get about certain players were probably made between like like minded individuals within a clubhouse or within a pub, but they wouldn't get wider airtime because it's just people speaking in a pub. But now people can post that online and like-minded people will see it and will like it and non-like-minded people now have the ability to jump into the conversation and say that's not right which is good but it just means that people are more aware that some people unfortunately hold unfortunate views about things and the the target the targets of the the comments can also Mm. be hooked into it i mean that's the that's the other thing i mean i think maybe just you know lockdowns probably brought a lot of new users to Twitter were people just bored looking for things to do and discovered. I mean, you know, Twitter is great, but it's also horrible. It's it's a, it's a multi-headed beast at times. That's like any pub on match day. It's good, yeah, but exactly. it's also horrible. It's yeah, good. Yeah. You, you enjoy spending time with your mates there, but the chances are you're going to end up stood next to somebody at the bar that's absolutely horrible and will try and chew your ear off. Yeah, like yeah, like a South African guy that, I, that we met in New Zealand while we were waiting outside a beer tent in the uh, Auckland, who started talking about all sorts of things. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. It involved whip, whips and safaris. And yeah. But just because we were, we were Scottish guys, I don't know, maybe he thought that we'd be hold, holding up the long tra- long-standing traditions of the British Army or something, even though... Uh... <laughs> whips and safaris. You were saying. I'll, not, I'll, I'll not go into it, but yeah, he was... Uh, it's just, I mean, that's he, was, just, he was a fairly pleasant individual, apart from the things that came out of his mouth. 
standard Saturday night in Glasgow, mate. <laughs> yeah, every time. I'm I'm, sorry. Yeah, every time someone says respect in rugby, baby Jesus cries. That's what I'm saying, anyway. <laughs> Have we got a picture of? Uh, why don't we do rugby Jesus cries? And then we'll get. Oh well, yeah, every time. Every time we say respect in rugby values, Greg Laidlaw cries. And then we'll get a picture of Greg in 2015 with that face of. And that, Tell you that, what, my uh, my hands in a rock would be um, somebody put up a picture of some amazing try from the top league the other week, the other day, and it looked like they're playing in a sandpit. They don't have grass <laughs> on the pitches over there. Did you see that? I don't know. I, I fear yeah. I fear for rugby Jesus if he's going to have to play on like it looked like a kind of like a kabaddi pitch or something. You know, it was like proper hard, just dirt. There's no no green, no grass. He's from Jed. He's from Jed as well. That pitch is permanently flooded for you. He's from. He used to be yeah. playing in like a... It's not going to be soft enough for our Greek. There's a joke there about um, Greek's speed about the park uh, being further further impacted by sandy maybe, pitches. Maybe that's maybe that's why he's gone there. That's the, he heard about the state of the pitches and thought that'll get that'll get me a, a couple of yards back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, always yeah. always we're thinking that one. Yeah, there we go. Okay, well we've we've reached our hour and a half mark on the podcast that I thought would be for about 40 minutes an hour tonight. And John's got to go and play Dungeons and Dragons now as well. So, <laughs> um, Thank you very much, everyone, for for tuning in live. Um, and don't forget, we'll be back next. John will be in charge next week to preview the Ireland game if, if nobody else has got coronavirus. Um, and we'll do our little only, only Finns preview uh, as well for that. Uh, but for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and John. Goodbye. Hey, folks.